Let's pray. Father, thank you for this time, and I pray as we look into your word, you grant us understanding and uh, that we might uh, understand exactly what you intended through this passage, Lord God, and that we might respond as you desire. We pray that you would be honored and glorified this morning in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, uh, we know that this week on Thursday, most of uh, the Western world will be celebrating Thanksgiving. We'll be celebrating a time where we gather around to give thanks. That's really what it's about, Thanksgiving. Um, but uh, many will just gather around for the turkey, the family, or whatever it might be. Uh, many will just gather for the time together. But the reality is we call it Thanksgiving, but... If you look in scripture, thanksgiving is something that we should be doing all the time. It's something that we should be thinking about that should be on our hearts and minds. We should be offering uh, thankful praise to our Lord. We're to rejoice always. We're to pray without ceasing. We're to give thanks in everything. And if you go through the Psalms, you'll see over and over and over again, there is thanksgiving in those Psalms. And you'll see in Scripture that that thanksgiving is based upon the character and actions of God. Now today, we're going to take a break from our series in Colossians, and we're going to turn to a psalm that I believe we need to be reminded of that helps us see where we used to be and what we should be doing now in giving thanks. Would you turn your Bibles to Psalm 107? Psalm 107. And we're going to see how we can get help from God, and then when we've been helped by God, what we should be doing. What we should be doing, what we should be doing every single day. And we need to look back, we need to remember what God has done for us, but uh, our memories get messed up in our flesh. Sometimes we look back and we see it through our own emotions and thoughts, rather than through what God says happened to us, what God did to us. And so today we're going to see four examples of deliverance that should cause us to give thanks. And I think we're going to identify with some of those as we go through it. Again, Psalm 107. Now, this psalm uh, is in the Psalms, obviously. Uh, the term Psalms comes from the Greek word psalmoi. Uh, the Hebrew translation of the word meant to pluck a string. Um, it speaks of a song. speaks of a song. And we know the songs, uh, the Psalms are a book of songs. They are praises, inspired praises, uh, set, originally set to music, inspired authors sharing uh, these truth that is set to music. Now, there are five books in the Psalms, 150 Psalms, and when we come to Psalm 107, it is the first Psalm of Book 5. Now, the timing of this Psalm uh, appears to be after the Jews had been released from their captivity in Babylon. Some stayed there, some came back. We see this in uh, Ezra, Nehemiah, and Esther. We see uh, in Haggai that there were those who came back. Now, indeed, uh, Psalm 106, right before it, seems to point to the fact that uh, the Lord would gather the nations. Verse 47, save us, O Lord, of Psalm 106, you don't need to look there, and gather us from among the nations to give thanks to thy holy name and glorify in thy praise. And it appears Psalm 107 is that, saving that gathering. Indeed, we'll see in Psalm 107, if you look at verses 2 and 3, let the redeemed of the Lord say so, whom the Lord has redeemed from the hand of the adversary 
and gathered from the lands from the east and the west, from the west, from the north and the south. God answered prayers. He brought his people back to Israel. We see that after their deportation. Now, as we look more closely here, as I've mentioned before, we're going to see how we can get help from God, and we're going to see those who have been helped from God, how we are to respond on a daily basis. Because I think we are so unthankful at times. I think we're so unthankful. You know, personal examples, you know, we, sometimes you do something to help somebody, and you're not expecting a thanks back, and you don't hear anything. And you go, wow, what's, what's going on there? You know, you go, well, I'm not going to judge their heart or anything. But the Lord talks about those who don't know him as those who don't give thanks. Those who don't see him rightly, who do not fear him or give him glory or thanks. And so when we come into a relationship with the Lord, he changes our hearts. And we're going to see specifically what we are to give thanks for. Now, this psalm is quite long. Again, turn to Psalm 107. And uh, we're not going to be able to look at every detail of it. But I think we're going to gain an understanding of the intent here. So I want to give you an overview of this psalm, the, the structure, and then we'll go into the specifics. In verses 1 through 3, we have an introduction. Then in verse 43, we have a closing uh, exhortation. And in both of these sections, they beckon us to consider the loving kindness of the Lord. Kind of bookends the, the book, consider the loving kindness of the Lord. And then in verses 4 through 32, we have four examples of those who were at their wit's end, at the end of their rope, who were humbled to the point of truly calling out to the living God. And within these examples, we see God delivering them, as we'll see ultimately through Jesus Christ. God delivering them. And then in verses 33 to 42, we have a summary of what God does. Uh, because of wickedness, what he does, and because he does to the humble. We'll see a summary of that, what he does. Concluding with an exhortation, as I mentioned, to consider the loving kindnesses of the Lord. Okay, with that in mind, let's take a look at our psalm. We're going to see an, an opening exhortation to the redeemed to give thanks, and that would be to us. We're going to see it certainly applies to those who have been taken out of exile, but it applies to us too. Oh, give thanks to the Lord, for he is good, for his loving kindness is everlasting. Let the redeemed of the Lord say so whom he has redeemed from the hand of the adversary and gathered from the lands, from the east and from the west, from the north and from the south. So the inspired writer begins with exhortation for believers, as we'll see, oh, give thanks to the Lord. Oh, give thanks to the Lord. Now, who's the Lord here? Now, you might remember that in the Old Testament, your Bibles will have a little note in the beginning, that in the Old Testament, if you had Lord with a large L and small letters, that means Adonai. That means master. And if you have a large, a large L and large ORD, that would speak of Yahweh. Now, what's, who's Yahweh? Now, that's been transliterated Jehovah, or I would say mistransliterated Jehovah. But the, 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 it is the, it is the Hebrew word simply, I am. Yahweh is the first person of to be. I am in Hebrew. And we know in Exodus chapter 3, when Moses is at the burning bush, he asks God, what should he tell the Israelites his name is? What should he tell them? And the Lord answers, et Yahweh, asher et Yahweh. I am who I am. He says, thus you shall call the sons, say to the sons of Israel, that I am has sent me to you, has sent you to me, has sent me to you. That was Moses to them. 
And so we have this, the self-existent one. He is the one who is. There is not one thing that can say, I am. There is not one thing that can say, I am, that is self-existent, that is. We have all been created. We have all been brought forth by the hand of the living God. And he is the self-existent one, the I am, the one who has existed forever and ever and ever. speaks of deity, the I am. You know, Jesus told the Jews before Abraham was, I am, I am. We see he is the self-existent one. So we are to give thanks to the I am, to the Lord. Give thanks to the Lord. And then notice we have some reasoning. God tells us why. For, or in, in, in uh, Hebrews, see, see, because, because he is good. First of all, give thanks to the Lord because he's good. He's good. And it's primarily God's goodness that motivates us to praise him and thank him. It's primarily his goodness. And if you've never come to the Lord and never experienced salvation goodness, uh, you're not going to be thankful. You know, you may be thankful for little things here and there, you know, that happen to you based on your desires. You're, you're sad and angry when things don't work your way. You might be thankful when things do work your way. But here we see that we are to be thanking the Lord or give thanks to the Lord for He is good. It's His goodness that motivates us. Now, Satan tempts us to think that God is not good. What did he do with Eve in the garden? God's holding out on you. He's holding out on you. He doesn't want you to be wise. Basically what he's saying. He's not good. That's basically the temptation. You need to use your own understanding rather than what God says to, to do uh, what uh, you think is best for you. Well, we know how that worked out, right? Totally deceived and then Adam sinned. So here we see, give thanks to the Lord for the Lord is good. Now God is characterized by good and his deeds are good. And we also see that he has redeemed his people unto good deeds. He's redeemed us unto good deeds that he has prepared in advance. Now, let me take a look at a few passages about his goodness. But if you look at, um, well, I'll read it for you. Psalm 25, verse 8. You can note it down. Look at it. Good and upright is the Lord. Therefore, he instructs sinners in the way. You know, if God wasn't good, he wouldn't be instructing us. He just let us go our own way. He's good. He instructs sinners in the way. Psalm 34, David writes, Oh, taste and see, verse 8, that the Lord is good. Taste and see. Take a taste. Yes, he's good. How blessed is the man who takes refuge in him. You are blessed if you take refuge in the Lord. Oh, fear the Lord, you his saints, and for those who fear him there is no want. The young lions do lack and suffer hunger, but those who seek the Lord shall not be in want of any good thing. We know in Psalm 119, 67, the psalmist writes, Before I was afflicted, I went astray, but now I keep thy word. Thou art good and doest good. Teach me thy statutes. You know, the, the, the counselors won't tell you that, that God uses difficulties, we'll see today, to humble us so that we would seek him in humility and confession and that we would be able to be delivered. Psalm 119.71, it was good for me that I was afflicted, that I might learn thy statutes. And we all know that God causes all things to work together for good to those who love him, to those who are called according to his purpose. 
He's working everything to good, everything for us. Isn't that great? You just know that everything in relationship to his children, who are those who have been saved by the grace of Jesus Christ, he's working out for good. And you could, now, you know, this would save us so much pain and difficulty if we would renew our minds. Yes, these events come upon us and we get sidetracked, we get focused and self-focused and focused on stuff, but we got to renew our minds. No, God is working things for good, whether it's showing me my sin, afflicting me so that I become more like Jesus, allowing that to happen, or whether it's just difficulties coming that we'd be built up, that we would, uh, that our faith would be tested and bring praise and honor to him at the revelation of Jesus Christ. The reality is God is a good God. God is a good God. Now, we see primarily in Scripture that his goodness is manifest in salvation. Psalm 86, verse 4, Make the soul of thy servant glad, and make glad the soul of thy servant. For to thee, O Lord, I lift up my soul. For thou, Lord, art good and ready to forgive. He's good and ready to forgive. What a wonderful God we have, and abundant in loving kindness for those who call upon thee. And then turn to Exodus 33. We have Moses. He's going to make a pretty bold prayer, and God's going to answer it. So make a pretty bold request to the Lord. And we are privy to see how this works out. We're privy to see what happens. Exodus 33. I'm not going to read the whole passage, but I'm going to read part of it, and then we'll We'll point out the, the, the important part here. Exodus 33, verse 18. Then Moses said, I pray thee, show me thy glory. That's a pretty bold prayer, isn't it? And he said, I will make all my what? Goodness pass before you and will proclaim the name of the Lord before you. And I'll be gracious to whom I'll be gracious and will show compassion on whom I will show compassion. Now, skip down to... Uh, Chapter 34, this is where this happens. You can read the middle part later, that's important, but skip down to uh, 34, verse 5. And the Lord descended in a cloud and stood there with him, and he called upon the name of the Lord. Then the Lord passed in front of him and proclaimed the Lord, the Lord God, compassionate and gracious, slow to anger, and abounding in loving kindness and truth who keeps loving kindness for thousands, who forgives iniquity, transgression, and sin. What a great God. He forgives iniquity, transgression, and sin, yet he's not going to leave the, the guilty unpunished, right? Or he says, yet he will not by no means leave the guilty unpunished, visiting the iniquity of the fathers and the children and on the grandchildren to the third and fourth generations. And Moses made haste to bow low towards the earth and worship. His goodness is manifest in the forgiveness of sins, in his gracious forgiveness. Gracious forgiveness. Tremendous God that we have. Tremendous God. So we are to give thanks, oh, give thanks to the Lord, for he is good. And then notice back in our passage, the second half of this, it really goes with what we just saw. For, and that's another explanation, his loving kindness is everlasting. This term loving kindness, we, you may or may not be familiar with it. In Hebrew, it's, it's chesed. And it speaks of a, of a covenant-keeping loyal love. A love that keeps its promises. A love that, that keeps its, its, its word. Uh, covenant-keeping loyal love. And we see that this covenant-keeping loyal love 
is is more specifically shared almost uniquely in the context of salvation. Of salvation. The sphere of salvation. Forgiveness of sins, which would ultimately come through the death of Christ on our behalf. Indeed, we see his goodness manifest, his loving kindness manifest in the forgiveness of sins. Turn to Psalm 103. 103. A psalm of David, bless the Lord, O my soul, and all that is within me, bless his holy name. Bless the Lord, O my soul, and forget none of his benefits. That's our problem. We're pretty forgetful. We forget on a daily basis. We get all caught up in the difficulties and we forget his benefits. Bless the Lord, O my soul, forget none of his, and forget none of his benefits, who, what? Pardons all your iniquities. That's the main benefit. There's a lot more, but he pardons, right? Who heals your diseases, who redeems your life from the pit, who crowns you with loving kindness and compassion, who satisfies your years with good things, so that your youth is renewed like the eagle. The Lord performs righteous deeds and judgment for all who are oppressed. He made known his ways to Moses and his acts to the sons of Israel. The Lord is compassionate and gracious, slow to anger and abounding in loving kindness. He will not always strive with us, nor will he keep his anger forever. He has not dealt with us according to our sins, nor rewarded us according to our iniquities. For as high as the heavens are above the earth, so great is his loving kindness. There you go, his hesed towards those who fear him. As far as the east is from the west, so far he has removed our transgressions from us. The Lord is good, and his loving kindness is everlasting. We're so used to things that don't last very long. You get a new car, soon you spill something in there. It starts to smell, right? It, it, we're used to things that, uh, that, that, that rot and decay, right? You know, we see it, you get, you get fruit from the store, and about a week later it's starting to rot, right? Things rot. We see mold. We see uh, uh, decay. We see all these things. This world is running down. But his loving kindness is everlasting. It's everlasting. And notice uh, in Joel chapter 2, I'll read this for you. He, he says to the Israelites, in the context of his judgment upon the earth, the day of the Lord, he says, and rend your heart, not your garments. Don't do stuff Give your heart over. Now return to the Lord your God, for he is gracious and compassionate, slow to anger, abounding in loving kindness, and relenting of evil. Do you remember how he said to uh, to Jonah that Nineveh would be destroyed in 40 days? And Jonah was to preach that? There was no uh, saying, hey, but if you repent, you'll be okay. He said he's going to destroy it. And they repented, and God relented. God is the one who relents in that context. God is a gracious God, a forgiving God. God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whosoever believes in him shall not perish, but have everlasting life. We know that uh, by this the love of God was manifested in us, 1 John 4 9, that God sent his only begotten son to be the son, son into the world that we might live through him. In this is love, not that we loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son to be the propitiation for our sins. The cross and forgiveness are manifestations of his goodness and loving kindness. And so now back to our passage in Psalm 107. Oh, give thanks to the Lord for he is good, for his loving kindness is everlasting. 
Now look at verse 2. It speaks directly to whom this would apply to. Let the redeemed of the Lord say so. Let the redeemed Lord say so, whom he has redeemed from the hand of the adversary and gathered from the lands from the east and from the west, the north from the south. I think he's speaking here not of the uh, Jews that came out of uh, Exodus from, from Egypt. I don't think that's the case because they were redeemed in that they were brought out of, ex, out of, out of Egypt, but they weren't redeemed to hearts. They weren't saying so. They, they died out in the wilderness because of unbelief. I think he's speaking of those believers who came out of the Babylonian captivity. And we see those in, 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 uh, in Haggai. We see them in Ezra and Nehemiah and Esther. We see that. Well, not Esther. We see that in, 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 in Nehemiah. We see that. Those who had come out of the captivity. And we see that they are those who, who knew the Lord. Remember, we were going through Nehemiah. There was a great group of believers there. They knew the Lord and they were serving the Lord and doing the Lord's work, being led by Nehemiah. So he says here, let the redeemed say so. What are they to say so? Oh, give thanks to the Lord, for he is good, for his loving kindness is everlasting. Let's say so. Let the redeemed say so. It's talking about believers, I believe. And even uh, we see this in, towards the end of the passage, verse 42. The upright sh- see it and are glad. But the unrighteousness, but unrighteous, all unrighteous shuts its mouth. Who is wise, let, it, let who is wise, let him give heed to the things to these things and consider the loving kindness of the Lord, kindnesses of the Lord. The upright are those who are righteous in Christ Jesus by faith, looking forward to his death on the cross at this point, And we back now that he has accomplished that work. The upright are those who are joyful and glad who will see it. That's us, right? We see it. We're glad and we're joyful. So we're to give heed to this. So this psalm is saying to believers, hey, let the, let, let the redeemed say this. It's going to be pointing out a bunch of examples of what happened that we should be giving thanks for, that we should be identifying with, or those who might be in those situations might be taught by it in turn. So then the Lord now at this point is going to give through the psalmist four generalized illustrations or examples of this, how the sinful Israelites were delivered. Well, not, I don't think it's going to be that specifically. I think it's going to be about more than just the Israelites. It's certainly going to apply to them, but I think it's going to be more than that. You're going to see it, it morphs into more than just the Israelites uh, being delivered. Ultimately, those who would be delivered uh, in Christ. Now, we're going to find a pattern here in these four examples, and it goes like this. First of all, we're going to see the state of complete lostness and inability to save oneself. Then we're going to see God's solution, which only comes through a humbling of oneself and a crying to him for the specific deliverance. And then we're going to see an exhortation to praise and worship the Lord for what he has done. And then for those who believe already, we're to give thanks for he is good for his ever loving kindness is everlasting. So let's take a look at the first example here. And these are illustrations, they're examples that will help us see where our hearts need to be in the midst of uh, of need and salvation and difficulty. Notice it says in verse 4, They wandered in the wilderness in a desert region. They did not find a way to an inhabited city. They were hungry and thirsty. Their soul fainted within them. Then they cried out to the Lord in their trouble, and he delivered them out of their distresses. He led them also by a straight way to, an, to go to an inhabited city, let them give thanks to the Lord for his loving kindness and for his wonders to the sons of men. For he has satisfied the thirsty soul 
and the hungry soul has been filled with what is good. So you're going to start out here. Hey, notice in verse 4, they, they're wandering. In the middle of verse 4, they did not find a way. Hey, they, they, they're lost. There, there's no way. It's, it's a desperate situation. It's a desperate situation. Uh, they're hungry and thirsty. They're fainting. They're at their end. They're at their end. Now, I believe he's not talking about the rejellious Jews from Exodus. I don't, like I said before, certainly I believe he might be talking about how God humbled those in captivity and those who came to faith and, and came out of the exile. It's certainly possible. But I think it's speaking generally here about those who are lost, but not everyone who's lost, but those who were not able to find a way on their own. They couldn't find it on their own. It says they did not find a way. Now, there are a lot of people out in the world like this that are looking for salvation. They're looking for salvation, but they can't find it. They can't find it. They realize they're in need, they're hungry and thirsty, but they can't find it, and they're hopelessly wandering from one thing to another. And maybe this is you. They're going from one thing to another. But they're missing one thing, as we're going to see. They're missing one thing. Notice what the Lord wants us to consider about this. Notice they had to get to the bottom of themselves. There are people who are hopelessly lost but never get to the bottom of themselves. They never get humbled to the point where they call out to the only one who can help them. Their soul fainted within them, the end of verse 5. Then they cried out to the Lord in their trouble. That's the key. They cried out to the Lord. They cried out to the Lord. This is key. It is ultimately you need to get to the end of yourself or you will never find the Lord Jesus. You know, he says, seek him when he can be found, but there needs to be a humility. We need to come like a child, as we'll see. There needs to be a humbling. Blessed are the poor in spirit, right? Blessed are the poor in spirit. And we see uh, the reality of uh, of of uh, having um, a, a, a need and a humility and a, and a humbleness to actually be able then to see the solution. You see, unless you humbly cry out to him, you're never going to get an answer. He says, they cried out to the Lord in their trouble. Notice what the Lord did. He delivered them out of their distresses. He led them also by a straight way to an inhabited city. It's an illustration here. He delivered them by a straight way. Remember, it's metaphoric. They're lost. He delivered them to where they needed to go, to an inhabited city. And how did he do it? By a straight way way. You see, the Lord's way is right. The Lord's way is straight. The Lord's way is upright. And so we see them crying out from the bottom, helplessly lost. And so notice what he says here, verse 8. There's the exhortation. Let them give thanks to the Lord for his loving kindness and for his wonders to the sons of men. For he has satisfied the thirsty soul and the hungry soul he has filled with what is good. Now, I believe this is not simply speaking of someone lost in the desert at this point. It talks about the hungry and thirsty soul. That's the inner man. It's more than just a, more than just food and water needed. And notice what he says here. Let them give thanks to the Lord for his loving kindness and for his wonders to the sons of men. Oh, the wonders of God to the sons of men that he would send his son Jesus to die for our sins, that he would freely, by his grace, pay the penalty for our sins and redeem us from the pit. This is offered to everyone, his wonders to the sons of men. 
And if you have responded, you were lost, now you have been found. You were lost, you've been found. Give thanks to the Lord for his loving kindness. You know, some of you may be able to remember the days when you were lost. When you were lost, you didn't know it, but you were lost. You were lost. And the Lord God brought you to himself. He delivered you. He delivered you. For he has satisfied the thirsty soul and the hungry soul he has filled with what is good. What is good? It's the things of God. It's God, right? Remember, God is good, and he forgives, and he pardons. So the first illustration, desperately lost yet hungry soul, will never find its salvation until they're humbled and turned, as we see ultimately in Scripture, to Jesus. And what should we be doing? Giving thanks to the Lord for his goodness and his loving kindness. Then notice the second illustration. We have a prisoner living in darkness at death's door in chains because of rejecting God's word, by the way, severely humbled. Look at this. There were those, verse 10, who dwelt in darkness, in the shadow of death, prisoners in ministry, not ministry, that could be some of that, prisoners in misery in chains. Misery in chains because they had rebelled against the words of God and spurned the counsel of the Most High. Therefore, he humbled their heart with labor. They stumbled, and there was none to help. Then they cried out to the Lord in their trouble, and he saved them out of their distresses. He brought them out of darkness and the shadow of death and broke their bonds apart, bands apart. Let them give thanks to the Lord for his loving kindness and for his wonders to the sons of men. For he has shattered the gates of bronze and cut the bars of iron asunder. Again, we have the same formula here. We see their state. There were those who dwelt in darkness, verse 10, and in the shadow of death, prisoners in misery and chains. Uh, they, they were, uh, these who, who, who were, who were in this dark prison of a, of a life, whatever it might be. The metaphor is someone being chained in, in, in a prison in darkness, right? Well, obviously they're not chained in, 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 uh, in darkness, if they can be humbled with labor, we'll see that. It's, it's a metaphor. They're, they're, they're chained in a sense in misery and, and, uh, in darkness. You might remember, uh, that the Lord Jesus, uh, talked about the Jews of Israel's day. Seems to apply to that. Seems to apply to where their hearts were, what he says here. He says in Matthew 4:16, there people were sitting in darkness, saw a great light. Those who were sitting in the land, the shadow of death upon them, a light dawned. From this time, Jesus began to preach and say, repent for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. You see, sin brings misery. Sin brings bondage. You think it's going to be fun? Eh? It may be fun for the moment, I tell you. If anyone says sin isn't fun, they're not telling you the truth. There's there's pleasure in sin in the moment. But it's a sinful pleasure that has a sinful destruction in the end. There's death. The wages of sin is death. And so we see sin brings misery. It brings bondage. Jesus said if you commit sin, you're a slave to sin. You're bound to it. You're a, you're a slave to sin. Now they're dwelling in darkness in the edge of death. Eternal death, I believe. Prisoners... Uh, in misery and chains. There's a lot of people out there like that right now. A lot of people. Now this group's kind of interesting because this group seemed to have an understanding of God's word and had rejected it. This is an interesting group. They seem to have an understanding of it. 
Certainly like the Jews of Jesus' day. Notice why. Because they had rebelled against the words of God and spurned the counsel of the Most High. Speaking of people who knew the Word of God and rebelled against it. As I said, it certainly does describe the Jews of Jesus' day. The term spurn means to treat with contempt. A counsel of the Most High speaks of the revealed will of God, His counsel. It's His Word. If you know the truth of God, but you haven't come to the God of truth, as evidenced by rebelling against His Word, you're treating His Word with contempt in your heart. Maybe outwardly you look like a saint, but inwardly you don't listen. And you're dwelling in darkness on the verge of eternal death. You're a prisoner in misery and chains. Yet God is gracious. Notice what he does for these unbelieving yet rebellious Jews. Therefore, he humbled their heart with labor. Oh, that's a terrible thing. No, it's a good thing. It's a good thing. They stumbled and there was none to help. He brought them to the bottom of themselves. God did that. He brought about their circumstances to bring them to the end of themselves through labor and a humbling of the heart with no one to help. You know, I'm amazed at times you see those uh, shows, you know, on cable, I survived to talk people through things where they are brought to almost dying. And, and some people say, praise the Lord. And they're praying, trust the Lord. Other people, they say, I learned because I'm strong. I survived because I'm strong. No, you didn't. Crazy stuff. God is humbling people that they would turn to him for salvation of sins. He humbled them with labor. Their heart, notice this, their heart with labor. Therefore, he humbled their heart. <coughs> it's a heart issue. Uh, with labor, and they stumbled, there was none to help. God is gracious to bring you to the bottom of yourself, where there's no one else who can help to get you out of where you are. And at this point, you have a choice. You have a choice. You can reject God, you can spurn his word further, or you can turn to the Lord God you can continue with a hardened heart, rebellious towards him and his word. Or you can be blessed by God's humbling. Notice verse 13. They sought, then they cried out to the Lord in their trouble. He saved them out of their distresses. He brought them out of darkness and the shadow of death. He broke their bands apart. Wow. This is great. You know, we were delivered from the domain of darkness and transferred in the kingdom of his beloved son. Our sins were forgiven and we were set free. And here it appears to be that metaphor. He broke their bands apart, their fetters. The, the chains that sin brings. Right? John 8. You can turn to John 8 for a minute. Turn to John 8. And it's interesting. that If you look at the book of John and you look at the, the, the term believed in there, you'll see there's uh, kind of interesting uh, things going on. There are those in John that believe that don't believe. There's those who have an outward belief or even a belief in a sense, but they don't haven't truly, truly humbled and trusted in Christ. Notice what he says here in, in John 8, 31. Jesus, therefore, was saying to the Jews who had believed him, notice this who he's talking to, if you, have, if you abide in my word, then you are truly disciples of mine, and you shall know the truth, the truth shall make you free. Now, notice these Jews who had believed, notice what they say. They answered him, 
We are Abraham's offspring. They're trusting in their, 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 their heritage, by the way, as Jews. And never been enslaved to anyone. How is it? Well, that's not true, by the way. Babylon, they're enslaved there. But, uh, um, anyway. And how is it you say you shall become free? Jesus answered them, truly, truly, I say to you, everyone who commits sin is a slave of sin. And a slave does not remain in the house forever. He's going to talk about how the Jews were in the house, but they're not going to stay there forever because they're slaves to sin. They're going to be judged. Um, he says, if therefore the son shall make you free, you shall be free indeed. Jesus is the only one who can set you free from sin. You could try all kinds of stuff. It is Jesus Christ who sets you free from sin. So they cried out to the Lord. And back in our passage, and he delivered them out of darkness in the shadow of death and their bond, and they broke their bands apart. They've been set free. If the sun sets you free, you are free indeed. God is gracious. Some of you are in misery and chains. You have rejected God's word and he has humbled you. Cry out to him at the bottom and he'll set you free. You'll be free indeed. Respond. He'll save you from your sin. You'll be delivered. If the sun sets you free, you shall be free indeed. And therefore, we have the exhortation back in our passage. Let them, those who have been set free, and certainly we'll see us too. We need to learn. We need to heed the things, those who have understanding. He says, let them give thanks to the Lord for his loving kindnesses, for his loving kindness, and for his wonders to the sons of men. Wow, what a great God. For he has shattered the gates of bronze and cut bars of iron asunder. You know, if you're in a prison cell, you can't get out. It's iron bars. You're not getting out. If you are a slave to sin, you are a slave to sin. You're not getting out. It is only Jesus who delivers you, but you need to humble yourself. When he humbles you, you need to respond rightly. You need to respond rightly. Shattered the gates of bronze, cut the bars asunder. If you cry out to the Lord, this is what happens to you. You're delivered from sin. You're saved. So then, the first illustration, desperately lost and hungry soul, never find salvation until they're fully humbled and turn to Jesus. Then give thanks. We're to consider that. Second illustration, the prisoner living in darkness at death's door in chains because of rejection of God's word, severely humbled at the end of self, comes to salvation. Oh, give thanks to the Lord. Now look at the third illustration. Fools, verse 17. Fools because of their rebellious way. And because of their iniquities, were afflicted. Their soul abhorred all kinds of food, and they drew near to the gates of death. Then they cried out to the Lord in their trouble. He saved them out of their distresses. He sent his word and healed them and delivered them from their destructions. Let them give thanks to the Lord for his loving kindness and for his wonders to the sons of men. Let them also offer sacrifices of thanksgiving and tell of his works with joyful singing. So it starts out with, the, with their state, fools, and here's why. Because of their rebellious way and because of their iniquities, they were afflicted. Fools, two reasons, rebellious way, that's literally the way of rebellion. The direction they walk in their life is rebellion against God and his word. The term rebellion includes that idea of transgression. There are fools, and secondly, because of their iniquities. That speaks of sin. 
And notice this leads to the fact that they were afflicted. Now, it's interesting, the stem of this verb in, in Hebrew speaks of the action of the verb being brought upon themselves. They afflicted themselves through their rebellion and their rebellious way. You see, sin brings affliction. If you reject Christ and you walk contrary to his ways, you are afflicting yourself, and you will be afflicted. And notice there's more explanation, verse 18. Their soul abhorred all kinds of food. Folks, this sounds like depression, by the way. If you choose to go your own way and not follow the Lord, you will be depressed, I guarantee it. It's not a good thing. You see those commercials of those people that don't know the Lord. They have the little happy and sad signs walking around, and everybody around them is walking on eggshells because they're depressed. You see these people who are depressed. Well, sin brings that about. Yes, bad things happen to believers, but God changes our hearts and minds and brings us out of that. Yes, we have troubles and we have trials and we we have sorrow, but God brings us out of that if we look to him. So then we see this. They're so important, all kinds of food. They drew near to the gates of death. Don't we see this throughout our society these days? By the way, let me illustrate with those who choose sexual deviance and flaunt it. The suicide rate among them is quite high. It's quite high, much higher than other groups. People who are sexual deviants. It doesn't satisfy. It's a prison. It's, it's, it'll bring you to death. Physical death and then spirit, spiritual death before that and then eternal death. If you choose to rebel against God by not turning to Jesus, walking in your own sin, you're going to be a fool. You're a fool, but you're also going to be depressed. And the world will give you pills to eliminate your symptom. But the problem is still there. And God is trying to wake you up to his solution, which is to cry out to the Lord Jesus for salvation. Then, verse 19, they cried to the Lord in their trouble. There's the solution. Call upon the Lord humbly for forgiveness of sins. The solution to your sin is to, and that, and the affliction and the depression in this temporal life, the solution is to turn to the Lord Jesus Christ for an eternal solution. And notice what happened. Verse 19. <coughs> he saved them out of their distresses. Remember, the distresses came upon them because of their sin. He saved them out of that, out of their trouble. Turn to Jesus Christ. You see, the consequences of sin brings affliction, depression, distress, destruction. And notice how he saved them. It didn't just happen like poof. He used something to deliver them out of this. Look at verse 20. He sent his word and healed them and delivered them from their destructions. That's the means. When you cry to Jesus for salvation from your sins, he heals you from your sinful thoughts and actions by sending his word to you. And his spirit through his word changes you. And how does he send it? Certainly it comes through the scriptures, right? We have the written word of God, but it also comes through people. Those who teach and preach his word, those who have blessed feet, who share the good news of Jesus Christ to bring deliverance. The sun sets you free. You're free indeed. You see, there are some of you who have been not been delivered. Uh, and there are some of you who have been delivered. 
You've been saved, but you put yourself back in muck and mire. And you've got distresses, you've got depression, you've got destruction. Turn back to the Lord and allow his word to heal you. He sent his word and it healed them. When you go to a counselor, they better be sharing the word of God because that's what's going to heal you from the God of the word. That's what's going to heal you. It's the Lord God through his word. We see that. So then notice what they're to do. He sent his word and healed them. Wow, wonderful. Notice what we're to do. Let them, or let their to do. Verse 20, let them give thanks to the Lord for his loving kindness. Thank you, Lord, for saving me. Thank you for bringing your word. Thank you for changing my heart, Lord God. Thank you. And for his wonders to the sons of men. Same exhortation. Same exhortation. But notice there's a little extra part here. Let them also, verse 22, offer sacrifices of thanksgiving. Oh, Lord, thank you so much. And notice, it sounds like they're doing it around uh, other believers. And tell of his works with joyful singing. Isn't that wonderful? This is what the Lord has done for me. He has set me free. To God be the glory, great things he hath done. So loved he the world that he gave us his son who yielded his life in atonement for sin and opened the life gate that all may go in. Praise the Lord, praise the Lord. Let the earth hear his voice. Praise the Lord, praise the Lord. Let the people rejoice. That's what we ought to be doing. Let them do that. Consider and then proclaim it joyfully to others. Give thanks. So the first illustration, desperately lost, thirsty soul, never find salvation, actually being humbled and turning to Jesus. Giving, We should give thanks for that. Second illustration, the prisoner in darkness, death doors and chains because of rejection of God's word, severely humbled, at the end of itself comes to Christ, set free, give thanks to the Lord. The fools afflicted, depressed, distressed, destroy themselves uh, near death because of rebellion and sin, brought to the bottom because of the consequences of their own sin. You think, why would God allow us? He's doing it to get you to the bottom of yourself, allowing the consequences of your sin, by the way. That's why. Um, then given the word, saved by Jesus, we're to consider that, give thanks, offer sacrifices of thanksgiving and praise, and tell of his works with joyful singing. Amen. And then notice the last uh, illustration here. The overwhelmed. The overwhelmed by circumstances that aren't because of them or because of sin. It's kind of interesting. We're going to say it. Verse 23, those who go down to the sea in ships, so that those who do business on great waters, they have seen the works of the Lord and his wonders in the deep. Hey, you know, if you're a sailor and you've got in the ocean, you realize that oh, there's a God. You see his work. You see it. You fly. You do different things. You, you go out. You see it. It, it, the heavens are declaring his glory. You see the waves and the winds. You see, you know it, right? They've seen the works of the Lord and his wonders in the deep. For he spoke and raised up a stormy wind, which lifted up the waves of the sea. They, uh, they, they rose up to the heavens. They went down to the depths. Their soul melted away in their misery. They reeled and staggered like a drunken man, and they were at their wits' end. Then they cried to the Lord in their trouble, and he brought them out of their distresses. He caused the storm to be still so that the waves of the sea were hushed. Then they were glad because they were quiet. So he guided them to their desired haven. Let them give thanks to the Lord for his loving kindness and for his wonders to the sons of men. Let them install them in the, install them in the congregation of the people and praise him at the seat of the elders. So here we have uh, the state of those here, first of all, talking about uh, sailors. 
those who go down to the sea in ships, right? Who do business on great waters. They have seen the works of the Lord, His wonders in the, in the deep. Simple illustration. They can't ignore the, they make a living on the water. They can't ignore the reality of God. No doubt about that. I think it's implying that they do know the Lord possibly in this, as we'll say. We're going to see that and they're coming up to trouble. We're going to say. And then there's an explanation. Uh, they've seen the works of the Lord, and he spoke in the wonders in the deep, for he spoke and raised up a stormy wind, verse 25, which he lifted up the waves. They rose up to the heavens. They went down to the depths. You might remember with Jonah and that storm, the, the guys that were pagans, they all of a sudden realized th- there's a God out there. Right? They understood. It says their soul, end of verse 26, melted away in their misery. I don't know if you've ever been a big storm on a ship. I don't like ships at all. I, I, believe me, I don't like it, and this is the reason. <laughs> God's warning me, don't go out there, all right? Uh, okay, that's, uh, I don't like those, but uh, same thing with airplanes. Getting, the, getting certain weather phenomenon that the Lord is sovereign over, it is, it is fearful to the core of your soul. It, it brings you down to an absolute fear. He says there in verse 27, they reeled and staggered like a drunken man and were at their wits end. Terrible storm, waves, high, low, terrible. Uh, the term wits end means to be swallowed up or ruined. It's just, it's just, we're done. We're done. Circumstances have come upon them, not because of their own actions, uh, in which they know God is sovereign over it. They've seen the work of the Lord. Uh, it's caused them to get to the end of themselves. And what do they do at this point? Same theme as we've seen. Then they cried out to the I am, to the Lord, not to some God somewhere else, to the Lord. They cried out to the Lord, the great I am in their trouble. Exact same thing we've seen. And what does the Lord do? He brought them out of their distresses. And how did he do it? Verse 29, he caused the storm to be still so that the waves of the sea were hushed. You remember when uh, there was a big storm out in Galilee and, uh, you know, uh, the Lord Jesus uh, had Peter come out. Peter was doing good and they started looking at the waves and the wind, started sinking, Lord, save me. The Lord hushed the sea. Those guys going out, there's another storm also that we know of that they went out there and the Lord sleeping, right? It wasn't their fault, but the Lord allowed it to teach them to trust him, to teach them to trust Jesus, to trust him. God is in control of everything. Every circumstance that comes upon you, he has either ordained or he has allowed. No matter what is happening in your life, if you're willing to get to the bottom of yourself and humble yourself and cry out concerning salvation, he will help you. But we need to be this way in every difficulty as it comes upon our lives. All of a sudden you're blindsided, brothers and sisters. We know the Lord is in control of things. We know as they knew he controls the sea. So they cried out to him. Cry out to the Lord. Cry out to the Lord in a helpless manner, humble to the Lord. And notice what it says. They were, it says he caused the storm to be still so that the waves of the sea were hushed. Then they were glad because they were quiet. That's the waves. So he guided them. See, he led them to their desired haven. Wow, that's wonderful. Our Lord Jesus, he is our haven of rest, isn't he? He's our haven. But yet you're not going to find rest until you cry it to him from the bottom. You, when you're helpless, you think you still can do something about it? Or in your, in your pride or self-pity, you're focused on yourself and whatever it is. 
Cry to the Lord. He'll deliver you. And then notice the exhortation. Let them give thanks to the Lord for his loving kindness and for his wonders to the sons of men. Give thanks for his loving kindness. Give thanks for what you have in Christ. Give thanks for salvation in Christ. And notice there's some additional commands. Let them extol him also in the congregation. Hey, give praise. Run the people for what God has done for you. What God has done for you, give praise, extol him, lift him up among the people and praise him at the seat of elders. Extol means to lift up, lift him up on high in the congregation. So when we gather, uh, the seat of elders spoke of the place of the highly respected at this time. Praise the Lord among the highly respected in the Lord, right? Let the horrible circumstance that came upon you be turned to the greatest good that you might cry out to God in your brokenness, and then when he delivers you, you might give him praise, and all his people hear what he has done and give him praise also. So then we've seen four different yet very similar illustrations. Each one brought low, humbled to the bottom, to the point they're willing to call out to God, to the Lord. Similar in that, the Lord delivered every single one when they cried out. Similar in that, they're exhorted to give thanks for his loving kindness, and then in two specific circumstances are to praise and worship and lift up his name. Now, run out of time here, but let me just summarize what we've seen here in this last portion, verses 33 and 34. We're going to see what God does. This is his MO. You want to know what God does? This is what he does, and he does it to humble you so that you would seek him so that he can deliver you, okay? He changes rivers into wilderness, and springs of water into thirsty ground, a fruitful land into a salt waste because of the wickedness of those who dwell in it. Because of sin, God brings difficulty and hardship. Because of sin. He says it here, because of the wickedness of those who dwell in it. That's what he does. He changes, that's it. He changes it from 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 rivers to wilderness. From water to a thirsty ground, from fruitful land to salt waste, because of sin. And that is so you'll see your sinfulness. He goes from plenty to poverty. And those who are blessed, by the way, you're blessed if God does this to you. If you don't know him, you're blessed because he's turning your heart. He wants you to look up to him and trust him so that they'll see their sinfulness. And then in corollary fashion, uh, here we see he blesses those who turn to him from poverty to plenty, those who are humble. Verse 35, he changes a wilderness into a pool of water, dry land into springs of water. Again, we have the phrase, he changes. He's doing it. God is doing it. And he makes the hungry to dwell so that they may establish an inhabited city and sow fields, plant vineyards, and gather a fruitful harvest. He takes those who are poor in spirit and blesses them, by the way. Blessed are the poor in spirit, right? He blesses them and multiplies them greatly, and he does not let their cattle decrease. He blesses them. This is a picture of how God works. Notice he also protects them. When they are diminished and bowed down through opposition, misery, and sorrow, he pours contempt upon princes. He makes them wander in a pathless waste, but he sets the needy securely on high, away from affliction, and makes his family's like a flock. Many other afflictions of the righteous, but the Lord will deliver them out of them all. Psalm, it's 25, I think, or 34. 
one of those. When people, his people, have humbly responded, diminished, bowed down, oppressed in misery and sorrow, the Lord pours contempt upon those who cause it. The Lord is going to take care of that. He's going to take care of that, right? You just seek him, right? You just seek him. The Lord is on the side of the humble. They're his flock. Then in verse 32, we have an interesting statement about those who are able to see it. The upright see it and are glad, but all unrighteousness shuts its mouth. The upright see what God is doing for those who are in Christ, those who are have humbled themselves and turned to the Lord. But all unrighteousness, in contrast, is silenced. So then we see a closing exhortation, verse 43. Who is wise? Here's the question. Let him give heed to these things and consider the loving kindnesses of the Lord. There you go. That's really the core of the whole thing. Are you wise? Let him heed these things and consider the loving kindnesses of the Lord. So then we've seen this passage, and this passage is to believers initially, those who are upright who can see it, those who have redeemed say so. We need to be reminded of what God has delivered us from. And we need to seek him when we are in difficulty and know that he takes those things that are bad and turns them for good. We need to know that. We need to know that. We need to give heed. Give heed to these things and consider the loving kindnesses of the Lord. So then we've seen four examples of being brought low and humbled to cry out for true deliverance and then experience his loving kindness. Now, we are exhorted to give thanks, and we're exhorted to consider it. So I would posit to you this Thanksgiving every day, not just day, right, that you consider the thanks, the, the loving kindness of the Lord. That's going to bring you to thank him. It's going to bring you to thank him. What about those of you who don't know Christ? Maybe you're searching. You're not finding. The solution is to humble yourself and cry out to Jesus Christ. Are you a prisoner in the midst of darkness and death? Sin bringing death because of your sin and misery chained. Cry out to Jesus. Uh, if the Lord sets you free, you're free indeed. Are you a foolish rebel living your own way? Uh, maybe religious? Are you afflicted, depressed, discouraged, distraught? Consequences of rejecting God's word and the God of the word? Cry out to him and he will heal you with his word. He'll heal you and deliver you. Are you overwhelmed, insurmountable circumstances? Cry to Jesus. He'll deliver you and bring you to a safe haven. Let's pray. Father, thank you so much for what we've seen today. Thank you so much for your goodness and your loving kindness. May we never uh, cease from thanking you for what you've done for us in your son, Jesus Christ. May we remember your works, your work of salvation in our lives and in others. And may we praise you and extol you together. May we offer thankfulness and praise and, and uh, glory to you, especially as we celebrate this one day. May that be every day, Lord God. May we be those who are so thankful every day. Pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.